Well, have you ever uh, tried to do something on your own that was really a two-person job? Or at least a two-person job, might be like a three- or four-person job, and you're like, I got this. Uh, I find myself in that situation a lot, and it's nobody's fault but mine. Um, I'll be like, oh, you know, so maybe someone's not available to help, but that's usually not the case. There's usually people who be like, sure, I would help you, but I'm like, well... I don't want to bother you, you know, I don't want to be a burden, or, or I, I didn't even plan on working on something, and I'm like, well, I'm bored, I'll start this, I can just do it real quick, and the next thing I know, I'm trying to hang a sheet of drywall on the ceiling, I'm on a stepladder with a drill between my legs, screws in my mouth, like holding it up with my head. Anybody ever been there, okay? It's just not, it's not good, right? Um, and in that moment, because of the way my brain works, I hear Jack Sparrow saying, I can't bring this ship into Tortuga all by my onesie. And I'm just like, whatever I'm doing, I can't do it all by my onesie. And that's just what I think. But uh, that's the reality. There are some things that it's just not made to be done by one person. And I'm assuming we've probably all been there in some way or another, um, to some extreme or another, where it's like, yeah, this, wasn't, this was never intended to be a, a one-man job here. Um, you know, and we can, there's, there's times when like, you just can't do it by yourself. And there's other times where you can get by doing it by yourself, but you just shouldn't. <laughs> and it's like, because it's, it's not going to get done well. It's not going to last um, there are going to be words said. <laughs> like it's just going to be, uh, someone's going to get hurt. Like it's just not, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be bad, right? Some things are meant to be done by more than one person. And that is the case with what we're going to talk about today. Um, we are in part three of this series called Sent Together. The last couple of weeks, we've been uh, talking about this idea that Jesus actually sends us on a mission, right? So if you're his follower, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a Christian, it's uh, Christianity is not a spectator sport, it's not something where to sit and like, cool, I'm a Christian. Let me, just, let me just sit back and kind of relax and watch. And he says, no, if you're my follower, I'm actually sending you now. I'm sending you to go and, and to proclaim the good news to people that like there is hope and there is life and there is freedom and there is joy, like all these things available in Jesus. There is healing for a broken world. He's like, I want to, I'm, I'm sending you. I want to work through you uh, to heal the world around you. Um, and, and so we're invited on that journey. Um, and we've kind of been talking about it around this idea of like, you're sent and I'm sent. And like each of us as a follower of Jesus, you, you are sent, I am sent. But the reality is we're never meant to be sent together. That this mission that Jesus invites us on is actually a together thing. We're always meant to be with one another, not like, I'm going to go do my thing over here for Jesus and you guys do your thing. He's like, no, I'm, I'm inviting you to come together. So here's what I want to do uh, over the course of our time this morning. I want to kind of shift that direction a little bit and talk about what does it look like for us to be on mission together, all of us, uh, to do this in community, in our context, that, that happens within the, the context of, of, a, of, a lo- of a local church, of a church family, of a family of faith. And so I'm going to talk over the next couple of minutes about what does that look like for us at Hope Community to be a part of that. Uh, and this is something you're like, man, Phil, I've been here for a couple years. I've heard this, okay? That's okay. We always need to hear this because here's the reality. The longer we exist as a church, the easier it is to lose sight of this. The longer we exist as a church, the easier it is to kind of be like, all right, we kind of know how to do church now. We kind of know how to coast. It's like, I show up, I put a smile on, I serve in my area, I say hi to my people, I leave an hour later, and I just do that week after week, and it feels good. And, and I love that. I love connecting with you guys. I love the fact that there's kind of a structure, and we know what's going on, and it's not chaos all the time, at least not all the time. Sometimes it is. We're just good at pretending like it's not. Um, but like, it's easy to kind of settle into where we lose that sense of like holy desperation, where, where there's this sense of urgency. Because it's easy to look around and go, hey, the room's full. We must be accomplishing what we set out to accomplish, right? We must be accomplishing our mission because the room is full. Because some of you have been here for the, the long haul, and you can remember a time a few years ago when the room wasn't full, right? There are some Sundays they are like, there's 20 people, and 10 of them are volunteers. 
Five more are related to me. Okay, I mean, it's like, it's going to be a rough day, right? And now we look around and, man, from pretty much every single Sunday, it's like, we got to set up more chairs. we got to set up more chairs. And don't get me wrong, I love a full room. It's better than the, you know, the empty room. But our mission is not to, to create a full room. Our, our mission is to inspire and to equip people to follow Jesus. The goal is not to say, hey, guys, we filled up the room. The goal is to say, hey, we, we've, there's a community that has been transformed that the gospel has gone out and changed lives, that people have been set free, that, that there, there is hope and there is joy. Like the goal is to say the gospel has so infiltrated our community and our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhoods that people have been freed from addiction, and people have been freed from depression and anxiety, and people have been freed from shame and guilt and what's been done to them. The goal is to say the gospel has so changed relationships that families have been healed and relationships have been restored. I think the goal is to say a, a generation that is coming up that has just been sold a, just a crap ton of lies by the world that has left them broken and empty and saying, really, is this it? Is this life? The goal is to come along and say, no, Jesus has something better. And he can give you hope and give you a future. Like, that's why we're here. That's the mission. And I'm telling you, if we are on that mission together, we, 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 are, we do not have adequate space or resources or time or like to, 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 to hold what God wants to do. Uh, and so, like, we, we've been having that conversation kind of as a, as a, among our leaders. And so I just want to kind of, this is going to be a moment to kind of clue you in, and then we're going to get into the message. Um, there's going to come a time very soon um, where we're going to be moving towards two services. Because we want to have more opportunity and more space for more people to have uh, what, has, what is happening here to impact them, for Jesus to, to move in and do something in their lives. And in that moment, we go to two services, guess what? The room's going to feel empty again. And we're going to be reminded of, wait, but we're not here to create full rooms. We're here to see lives transformed and have Jesus working through us. But it's only something. It's only something that we do together. Um, it's not something that I do. It's not something you and you and you, like as individuals, it's not something I do. It's something that we come together and say, hey, we're, we're in this. Jesus, what, what are you asking uh, of us? And so I want to look at a passage of scripture today to kind of pull out some ideas around that, uh, that, that topic. Um, and, and this is, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit today. Usually when I go through a message, it'll be like, here's a passage. We're just going to kind of work through it. Um, but this is a little bit of a, on the longer side, this, this passage, um, and there are a whole bunch of rabbit, uh, rabbit holes that I could go down and chase. I'm going to try really hard not to. Um, there's a lot of different things we could highlight. Why are you laughing? Why do you think that's, you think that's funny? Um, so I would encourage you, though, in your own time this week to, to go and, and to, to read this passage. We're going to be Luke chapter 10, Gospel of Luke, one of the accounts of Jesus' life. Luke 10, uh, the whole passage is verses 1 through 20. So if you got some time this week, maybe read through that, read it in some different translations. If you got like a study Bible that's got some notes or commentary, that would be really helpful. Um, but we're going to jump around a little bit, and this is a moment where Jesus sends out some of his disciples, some of his followers, uh, and, he, and he sends them out on a mission. So let's just pick that up, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Okay, so the after this that Luke is uh, referring to here is just Everything that came in chapter 9, because chapter 10 is after chapter 9. Uh, a lot of interesting things happen in, in chapter 9. Jesus sends out 12 of his disciples, like his core 12, and they go out on mission and come back, and they're like, amazing things are happening. And then Jesus does some really cool miracles, and he makes this huge claim about himself, and, and then we get to chapter 10. And Luke's like, after that, after he sent out the 12, he's sending out 72 more, 72 others. Now, um. I want to talk about that for a second. We're, we're, going to, we're going to live in this little, the first part of verse one for a moment because it's, it's going to set us up for the rest of, of the message and the rest of the passage. Like the, the number 72 actually has significance there. It wasn't Jesus being like, 
sure, that looks like about the right amount. Uh, and Luke is intentional about recording it. Uh, you may have a translation, actually, that says 70. So some say 70, some say 72. Uh, and the reason for that, it's not like some big conspiracy. There's just a, a variation in our manuscript history uh, that all the way back to the earliest manuscripts, about half of them have 70, half of them have 72, because they're referring to an Old Testament passage. Um, and there were two different schools of thought, even within Jewish thought, of how to count these nations that are going to be referenced and whether you got to a count of 70 or a count of 72, but same meaning, same meaning. Most translations now, I, I think, have 72. And so this 72 that Luke talks about, right, we're going to nerd out for a minute, so you just got to hang with me because it's important, I promise. Uh, this comes from what's called the Table of Nations. And this is found in Genesis chapter 10. And also chapter 11. If you're reading through Genesis chapter 10, you're going to get to this passage where it's like a whole bunch of like people groups are listed and like where they came from and where they kind of uh, split up and divided into. It's one of those moments if you're like someone that tries to read the Bible and you're like, names, why? Why are there just like a whole chapter of names? Like I don't understand. Because um, the authors are always, they're not just writing names just to fill up space. They are communicating uh, something that is true about God, about people, about the world. And that's what's happening here in Genesis 10. So Genesis 10, table of nations, all these different people groups are listed. And to the Jewish authors and to the audience that was reading this, they saw that, that those 72 nations as being representative of the entire world all peoples, all nations. Like it's this, it's this way of saying all the peoples of the earth, here they are, here's how they divided up. Um, so that's in Genesis 10. Genesis 11, the next chapter tells you, how do we get to that point where they split up, where they were divided out? Genesis 11 is this infamous moment known as the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babylon. Um, it, it's, a, it's a low point in human history. It's a, it's a snapshot of human evil and destruction and wickedness on the planet. So the, the chapters 3 through 11 of Genesis are like this humanity is spiraling out of control. It's like terrible thing after terrible thing after terrible thing. It's oppression, it's violence, it's injustice, it's evil, it's sin. And you're just kind of like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And then Genesis 11 comes and the people are like, we're going to build a giant tower up into the heavens and we're going to make our name great. And it's this, uh, this inversion of what humanity was actually called to. They were called to make God's name great. They were called to spread, to fill the earth, to, to multiply and to, to make the name of God great and to be his representative to, to the world around them and to bring flourishing. But they say, you know, forget you, God. We're going to make our name great. We're going to stay right here. We're going to define good and evil on our own terms. And again, this is at the end of a long list of terrible thing after terrible thing after terrible thing. And so God's like, okay, we're done. We're done. And it says that he scatters the people and confuses their language. It's this picture of God disinheriting the nations, that all of humanity was meant to be in relationship with God, that all of humanity, every tribe, every tongue, every, every person on the planet, like it, it was supposed to be in relationship with God. They were supposed to be his image bearers, his representatives to the world. And God's like, okay, we're done with that. And if you're reading through the biblical narrative, especially through these like uh, Jewish uh, author's eyes, you're like, oh no, this isn't, this isn't good. It's not supposed to be this way. The nations have been disinherited. What are we going to do? What is the solution? And then you turn the page to Genesis chapter 12 because 12 comes after 11. You're learning things today. You're learning things today. Genesis chapter 12 is where uh, the story of Abraham begins. His name is originally Abram. It gets changed to Abraham. And God makes a promise to Abraham, and he says he's this old man that has no children. Him and his wife are, are barren. They can't have kids. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to turn. You're going to have so many descendants. I'm, you're, like, it's more numerous than the stars in the sky. You're going to be a nation. And out of you, Abraham, you're going to be blessed, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. 
All the nations will be blessed through you. So you're reading this, you're like, wait a minute, the nations, they lost their blessing, they've been disinherited, and then here's the solution. Something is gonna happen through the line of Abraham to bring the peoples back in. That is all getting loaded in when Luke said, records Jesus appointing 72. It's this picture of everyone is invited. Everyone is included. In Luke, the way that he writes his gospel is specific about this. So we've got four gospels, uh, the, the accounts of the life of Jesus. But each author has kind of a different goal. They're writing from a different perspective. They're writing to a different audience. And so they, they record different things to serve that purpose. And so Matthew, for example, writes from a very Jewish perspective. He's writing to primarily a Jewish audience, and he portrays Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, as, as the king in the line of, of David, as the, the new Moses, the new lawgiver. And so in Matthew, he has Jesus sending out 12 disciples, and Jesus specifically gives the 12 these instructions, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the non-Jewish people, you're just to go to Israel, because Matthew's wanting to portray Jesus as Israel's Messiah. But Luke writes to a Gentile audience. And Luke, all throughout his gospel, writes to say, yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but because he's the Jewish Messiah, he is the king, he is the savior of the entire world, of everyone. And so when, when Jesus begins this way and Luke records this, it's like jumping off the page to the first century audience of him, him saying, hey, you know what went wrong all the way back in Genesis, and you know how Abraham's seed was gonna be the one to, to bring all the peoples back in that's happening in me right now. And so I'm sending you 72 out with this, this amazing message that everyone is invited. It, it doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is, what your story is, what time of history you live in, everyone is invited to experience the good news of Jesus. I'm sending you out. All right, I'm gonna pick up the pace because that was a half of a verse. Okay, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He sent them out in pairs. He's saying, hey, hey, they're, they're, you got to go. This message is for everyone. The 72 representing all these nations, everybody's coming back in, but I'm not sending you on your own. I'm sending you together. I'm sending you together. And he told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so this is an agrarian culture, right? So he's, he's presenting a picture that made sense to them. It's like, oh yeah, we're, we're farmers, we grow things. We understand the idea of, of planting and, and harvesting and, and the workers that are needed. He's like, Here, here's, I'm, I'm sending you out to declare the gospel and it's gonna have an impact. It's gonna have such an impact that it's like a harvest that is abundant. It's like looking out over fields. It's, it's not like you just plant them and they're barren and they're kind of sprout, like sparse. It's like, no, like everything has grown up. The fields are lush. There's fruit all over the plants. Like you've ever, you've ever seen like a fruit plant or I've got some peppers at home right now that are like leaning over because of the weight. The peppers are so heavy. It's just like everything's leaning over. It's such a beautiful harvest. But there's, there's a little bit of an issue that the workers are few. And so there's almost this picture of like acres and acres and acres of abundant harvest field. And there's like three people like, what are we going to do? There's no way we can possibly bring all of this in. And this is the picture that Jesus uses for the gospel, for the good news. He's like, there are, there are people who are ready to respond to this message. There are people who are desperate for something to say, I need some hope. I need a future. I need, I need life. I need something to tell me that there's more to life than this, that, 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 I can, that I can experience something. Jesus is like, there are people who want to follow me, who will trust in me, who will be transformed by me but they need someone to tell them. They need someone to, to, to be sent to them, to be a worker. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now, for some of you, you like that. 
Like, see, he said the solution is just pray about it. Can we pray about it and go home, right? Some of you are like, I'm a prayer warrior. I just pray about things. If that's you, that's awesome. Prayer is so important. It is huge. It is amazing. But if we're honest, sometimes we can use prayer as an excuse not to actually do things. Like, I'll pray about that. <laughs> but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to pray about it. So he's like, yes, I want you to pray. But I also want you to perspire because we're going to alliterate. We're going to work. Now go. I'm sending you. So here's these 72 people. We've got a problem. The, the, the harvest is plentiful. It's abundant, but the workers are few. Pray that God would send workers. Now I am sending you. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus teaches things and does things that, that demonstrate over and over he's God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. And so, hey, pray that God would send workers. We have this issue. Hi, I'm God in the flesh. I'm sending you. So yes, pray for God to send more workers, but also you go as well. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Okay, now, now it just got a little bit like, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. This was sounding good. I was excited. It was like rah, rah, team Jesus. We're on this big mission together. Um, lambs and wolves don't mix, okay? Like I've, I've seen, I've not, I've not actually seen that, but like maybe scarred for life. But you know, like TV and stuff, okay? Like you get the picture. Lambs, wolves, like kind of like enemies. This idea like I'm sending you out and like you're on this massive mission, but it's not going to be easy. There is going to be opposition. I think that's so important to know. It's like, hey, if Jesus sends us on mission. If we think it's just going to be a walk in the park, and then the minute that we face any kind of opposition in the, in the mission or just in our lives in general, if we think Christianity is just a walk in the park, the minute something gets hard, it's like, well, what's this? Like, like Jesus is never shy about saying, hey, it's not going to be easy. Like lambs among wolves. And so we get this picture of like, hey, expect opposition, but we also uh, get a picture of the, of the attitude and the heart and the nature in which we are sent on mission. Because lambs or sheep, they don't, they don't try to rise up against the wolves. Right, right? It's not like, hey, let's get all the lambs together and take down the wolves. Like he, he's not saying like lambs, unite, like war against the wolves. That's not what sheep do. You know what sheep do? They rely on their shepherd to protect them. I'm sending you on a mission. It's not going to be easy. It might be dangerous. It's going to cost you. Don't try to go out and like defend yourself. Just trust me. I'm sending you on mission. Declare the good news and trust that I'm with you. And trust that no matter what happens, I've got your back. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And so don't carry a money bag traveling bag or sandals, and don't greet anyone along the road. So obviously what Jesus is telling us is on mission, be irresponsible and rude. So it sounds like <laughs> there, there's some kind of turn of phrases that are being used, a couple of Old Testament references, um, that, that what is being communicated is a sense of urgency. You got to go right now. Like if someone, like don't, don't, don't let there be any distractions. Like you just, I'm sending you, the harvest is plentiful, so go. Like be, be of like a singular focus. Be urgent. Don't greet anyone along, on, along the road. And he gives them kind of instructions, a snapshot of what exactly to do. What is it? You're gonna go to these places, I'm sending you out. Uh, what is the message that you have whenever you get there? Verse nine. He says, once you get there, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. There, there's two things that happen. He says, heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom has come near. This is the declaration of the gospel in word and deed. 
You're going to show up and, and you're going to heal and you're going to tell. Like it's this, it's this two-part formula. It's not enough to just tell people and it's not enough to just show people. It's when you bring the two people together, there, there is this powerful declaration of the gospel. And I think there is a danger within Christianity to want to lean to, to one side or the other of that. Like some people get really excited about the, you got, we got to tell them, we got to tell them about the gospel, we got to tell them about Jesus, we're going to preach on the street corners, we're just going to knock on doors like, you need to know, do you know Jesus? Does he, have you accepted him as your Savior? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell. But if we just tell people, but then never actually demonstrate it with our deeds, it just comes off as cold. It comes off as judgmental. It comes off as like, I'm just a project to you. I actually don't think that's our problem as a church. I think if there's a danger for us, the danger for us would be to lean more into this side. To say, I will, you know, I'll, I'm going to preach the gospel with my life, which is good, but a lot of times we say that to me, but I'm never actually going to say anything that people might not even know I'm a Christian. I'm just going to be nice to people. And that doesn't work either. It doesn't work either. Because like, yeah, you're nice and you're loving and you're sacrificing and you're doing these things. Like, well, maybe you're just a nice person because like, Sometimes people, like you don't have to be a Christian to be a nice person. I know lots of nice people that aren't Christians. But for us, it's to go and to love people and to declare the gospel with our deeds, with our actions that is, that is so extreme that makes people say, well, what is so different about you? And then you say, well, let me tell you why. Because I follow this guy named Jesus. He has completely transformed my life and he can do it for you too. You declare the gospel in word, in deed. The kingdom of God has come near to you. He spends the next several verses that we're not going to go into uh, basically saying, hey, not everyone's going to be cool with this message. Not everyone's going to accept it. Um, he uses a lot of Old Testament references in that. Uh, but I want to skip down to verse 17 where they come back. They come back from the mission, and they're pumped. The 72 come back with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They, they come back and like, Jesus, we have seen some incredible things. Like we went out and we started proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. We started healing and we started telling people this. And all of a sudden, like people's lives are being transformed and they're being set free from spiritual evil and oppression. And it's like, this is incredible. This is incredible. Uh, and I, like Jesus, I, he hears what they say and I can almost like, kind of see like the, the way that he would uh, just uh, like, oh, that, that's great and I'm so excited for you, but let me just kind of temper that a little bit so that you don't lose sight of the main thing. And so they, they come and say, hey, the, the demons are submitting to us in your name. You know, people are being set free and transformed. And Jesus said to them, I watch Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That clears things up, doesn't it? Isn't that great? You're like, uh, and honestly, within schools of kind of like translation and stuff, like there's a few different ways of interpreting that or what people think that might mean. Um, some would read that as this being like when, when Satan fell like way before like in the garden and Satan was cast out of heaven. Some people would read that and see that as like a foreshadowing uh, to where when Jesus dies for sin and rises from the dead that Satan will be completely defeated. Uh, others read this in the direct context of this passage where it's like they said we came back and the, and, the, and the demons submit to us in your name where it's every time the gospel is declared, every time someone gives their life to Jesus, every, every word, every deed that is gospel declaration, uh, Satan's kingdom is being pushed backwards. Um, all three kind of carry the overarching idea that the adversary has been defeated and that's what's being communicated that Satan is the adversary. He is, he is opposed to God. He is opposed to God's people. He's opposed to humanity. He wants to bring death and destruction to everyone. And Jesus is like, hey, he's defeated. He stands defeated. Yeah, he's, he's still roaming around, and this is kind of still his age, but he is already lost. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, and so they come back really excited that, uh, that spiritual evil is, it no longer has a hold on people, and he's like, well, yeah, 
because I've defeated it. Satan has been defeated. I, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing at all will harm you. This is one of those, another one of those verses where it's like context matters. <laughs> I'm telling you, you rip that out of context, and all of a sudden we're a snake handling church, all right? You guys, surprise, I'm pulling out the box today, right? Because kind of on a surface level, it's like, well, okay, snakes and scorpions aren't, aren't going to harm us. But when we dive into the, the Old Testament context and the, the symbolism that's there all throughout the biblical narrative, snakes and scorpions are used as images of agents of evil, chaos, death, destruction. That, that scorpions and other desert creatures, because a, a desert is a place where if you go there, I mean, you, you think of Israel, they're wandering around in the wilderness. People die out there. And so it's this picture of, like, you're not safe here. You think of chaos. When, the, uh, when, when humanity is tempted in the garden, the tempter is described in the form of a snake. And actually, all throughout uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, literature, like, snake-like creatures are always seen as, like, these agents of chaos that come and bring uh, destruction. And so the idea that, that is being communicated, you, say, you, have, you have authority to trample on uh, those evil things, the snakes and the scorpions. And then he just says, and over all the power of the enemy... It's not going to hurt you. You are free from that. Not in the sense that nothing's ever going to touch you on this life because we are affected by sin. We are affected by death. We get sick. We die. We hurt. People let us down. Like, this life is full of pain, but in the sense of saying, remember, Satan fell like lightning. That is temporary. That, that will not have the final say over you because what, have I, what I have done for you. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Got the authority over snakes and scorpions, the power of the enemy. You are no longer under that. And then he brings it and lands it with this. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The 72 come back and they're pumped. They're like, man, Jesus, like lives are being changed and people are being set free and this is incredible. And he's like, I know, I know, I know. The enemy's defeated. I've done something for everyone everywhere and that's great. I'm glad to hear that report, but make sure you don't lose sight of the main thing. That at the end of the day, uh, your Christian faith and what this thing is about is not about what you can do for me. It's about what I've already done for you. That your names are written in, in heaven. Like, like everything flows out of that. Don't get so excited that other people's lives are being transformed. So excited by that that you lose sight of the fact that he is transforming you. Don't get so excited about the fact that, that other people are being set free to where you might actually forget that you've been set free where you have hope, where you have life, where sin and death no longer have hold of you. He's like, hey, rejoice that your names are written in heaven because it's only when you start there that you going out on mission flows out of that. It's this idea, I've heard it said, and it's a good way of summarizing it, that when you come into the Christian life and the good you do, we don't work for the approval of God, we work from the approval of God. It's like, I have done this for you, now go and be free, and don't, you don't have to earn anything, we're good, now be part of bringing other people into that. Now, there are a lot of things, as I said, that we could talk about from this passage, a lot of things that we kind of like skimmed over, or, or verses we didn't cover. There's the power of the gospel is in there, ideas of judgment are in there, uh, spiritual evil and Jesus' power over that are in there, all the different Old Testament themes, but I just want us, for our purposes, for this series, for this message, to just think about that one idea, that Jesus sends out these 72 but he sends them out in pairs. He sends them out together, which is just a strange, if, if it's not important, it's a strange detail for Luke to include. And it's not the only time that it happens. Um, when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples 
in different places. He sends them out in pairs. Uh, and, and then in the early church, this pattern appears as you read through the book of Acts, that it seems like the apostles are always going in pairs. You've got Paul and Barnabas. You have Paul and Silas. You have Peter and John. It's like they're always together. They're together. They're together. They're together. And that's not an accident because that's how the Christian life is meant to be lived. And that's how the Christian mission is meant to be carried out. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Like, faith is, is personal, but it's not private. It's personal to us. We've got to own it, but we don't own it on our own. It's something that we do together. And sometimes when we think about being on mission... When it comes to like Christianity, it's, it's easy to think, okay, what, what do I need to do? What's God calling me to do? What, 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 what do I, how, how do I contribute to this? I think the, the better question and the thing to get out is, what do we do? What is he calling us to do? What is the mission that he has us on? What, what is he calling me to and who else can come, maybe has the same similar passion that can come alongside me? Because Jesus sends us out not alone, but he sends us out together. He sends us out together. He sends us out together for several reasons. That was true of followers then. It's true of followers now. He sends us out together because like he said, the, the, the harvest is plentiful. The mission is huge. None of us can do it on our own. That we, we actually need one another to be able to do what God is calling us to do. And I was thinking about that this week and like kind of personalizing that to think that I know I have people in my life and you have people in your life who you desperately want to know Jesus. And they, they need his power. They need to be transformed. They need some hope. And, and you're like, your heart breaks for them because you know Jesus can, can be exactly what they're looking for. We have people like that in our lives that we'll never be able to reach. And that's such a defeated place to be sometimes. You're like, there's someone that I care about that I've been praying for and I just want them. And it's like, but I, I just can't seem to reach them. But while you may not be able to, there's someone here who could because that's how this thing works because we hear things differently from different people Two different people can say the exact same thing and somebody hear it completely different. We need each other. We're on this mission together. He sends us out together because the, the mission is, is huge. He sends us out together because we're sheep among wolves. And we need to encourage each other. We need to be there for each other. We need to remind each other, hey, it's not going to be easy, but even when it's not easy, we're here together. He sends us out together because... Uh, there, there's power in the testimony of multiple witnesses. It's one thing when one person says, hey, Jesus has changed my life. It's great. It's a whole different people when 10, 20, 30 people are like, seriously, my life has been transformed. Then all of a sudden it's like, maybe there's something to this. There's power in multiple witnesses. He sends us out together because of that thing that Jesus said there at, at the end. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. He sends us out together because we can remind each other of that. In those moments when we begin to question our faith and we get to wonder and we think maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I haven't done enough, maybe I haven't earned enough, that we remind each other it's not about what you can do. It's about what he's already done for you. That you don't have to, you don't have to carry that guilt, carry that shame. Like you, you, you're good in his eyes. Now go and live out of that approval, not for that approval. He sends us out together. So as we wrap this thing up, um, I want to encourage us. I encourage us to be on mission together collectively, as a group, as a, as a church. You know, fall is almost here. It's, it's hard to like, fathom that. Like, man, Minerva goes back to school this week. Carrollton went back last week, sorry. Uh, <laughs> we had some Carrollton folks. It's like, oh, man. Um, and I know technically it's not fall yet, but, like, man, once, once school starts again, it's fall. I don't care what people say. It's fall. Um, and, and, like, new routines are kind of established. 
where it's like, all right, if you got kids, they're back in school. You know, travel pretty much wraps up. You're home. Like, this normalcy kind of resumes, and that's the same for us as a church. We kind of get in a new rhythm, a new, new habit, a new routine. And, and as we do that, it's a perfect time for us to be on mission together, to say as we move forward into this next year and establish new routines, we're on mission. So here's what I want to do. I want to I challenge you to be on mission with us, for all of us to be in this. For all of us to say, okay, Jesus, what, what, I, 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 want, I, want you, I want to know you. I want you to work through me. I want to experience your power, and I want, I want others to as well. And so here's what that might look like for you. Three ways to do that. Number one is to serve in your church. Some of you are volunteers, and it's incredible, and you love it. And in fact, you would say, like, yeah, like, things have happened through your volunteering, but you would say my relationship to Jesus is closer than it ever was because I'm volunteering. I want to encourage you to, to serve whether that's in kids or somewhere uh, you know, in this space on a Sunday morning, that's a greeter, that's a coffee area, whatever that looks like to serve. That you have something to offer the body of Christ and that we are incomplete without you. And so I'm gonna actually, after this, I wanna invite you, you can, you can head back to the lobby to HC Connect uh, and use the, the kiosk there to sign up to serve. Now, if you are signing up to serve, you're not committing your life away, okay? You're not like, all right, I'm just, I don't, it's just some information. Hey, I'd like to serve. Here's what my interests are. We'll talk with you and we'll walk through that with you. Hey, where would be a good fit? Where are your passions? Where are your gifts? Where are your, like, where do you think this would work? And then we're gonna help you and we're gonna train you because again, we're not just saying good luck, you're on your own. No, we're in this together. So I wanna invite you to serve. Another way that Jesus sends us out together is to invite people. As I mentioned, mentioned a moment ago, like there are, there are people that we won't be able to reach, but somebody else here might be able to. And whenever we invite someone, it opens that opportunity up, it opens that door up to where collectively someone might hear the good news of Jesus through us. And for some people, it might be the way they're greeted and talked to in the lobby. And for other people, it may be the way they connect through worship. For some people, it might be through the message. And for some people, it may be through what happens with their kids. But collectively, whenever we invite people in, God works through us. Last way is this, that to get into a community group. To get into a community group. We run groups during the week uh, here because... We think life is meant to be done together, that faith is a communal thing. And um, Sunday gatherings are great, but it's hard to have community sitting in rows for an hour on Sunday morning. And so we meet in homes and we eat together and we talk about the scriptures and we talk about life and we pray and we do these kind of things. And so I would encourage you to, to join a group, to put yourself in those situations where you can be reminded and encouraged and equipped when it feels like you're a sheep among wolves, that you're reminded, yeah, but you're not the only one. We're in this together. When we, maybe we start to lose sight of the fact that I'm loved and it's not about me having to earn it, that we're reminded, no, like God loves you and he forgives you, he is with you and we are with you as well. Um, our groups are kind of on a weird schedule in the summer because we kind of take a break, but they relaunch here starting in September and they'll meet every single week. Again, you can sign up at the back today. You can also sign up anytime online to serve or to be in a group. Um, but yeah, take one of those steps. Take one of those steps, see what God won't do in you and through you as you begin to do that, Jesus sends us out together. I'm gonna pray for us, um, and I think the worship team's gonna come back up. So God, thank you so much um, for loving us the way that you do. Um, thank you for sending your son Jesus to show us what it truly looks like to live a life of love, to love our neighbors, to love you. Um, Lord, that you sent him to, to die for us, to pay for our sin, all the shortcomings that we have as individuals and collectively. Lord, you took that uh, to the cross. You freed us from those things. We praise you for that. We thank you that you have risen from the dead, uh, that we have a hope and a future of eternity with you through that. God, may we be people that are transformed by your power, by your love, by your grace. 
um, and that that power might work through us to bring others into your kingdom, that others may hear the good news of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.